another Shakespeare. What happened to the, um, the percussion on that? It does a man. That's incidental. You say you've um, got the shakes. I've got the shakes. Why have you got the shakes? Because I'm severely without the thing that makes this podcast this podcast. Uh, banter? No, that's No, that's still, that's still well and truly here. Facts? And it will be, will be overflowing with banter as this episode come, goes on, but not with the elixir. Right, okay. The special, beautiful. Yeah. You're right, because you're drinking alcohol, whereas... It's, it's, past, it's past midday. I was very excited that I marched to my kitchen in preparation for this podcast and then realised that I'd ran out of beautiful, beautiful dark arts coffee. It's, it is very beautiful. And now, and now all I've got is whatever the fuck this is from Austria. Although it does smell very good. Yeah, I'm very excited. It's so. potent, isn't it? So, dark arts... If you um, if you want to send us any, yeah, I can um, well um, I can storm up to your door. We'll DM you our PO box. We'll slip into your DMs. Uh, I've already I've already purchased two dark arts uh today. Two they can just refund you the, then. Sacks of the things, preferably. Yeah, yeah. that'd be that'd be ideal. Um, so what I have currently ordered from dark arts uh for this month is uh num num juice. From Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. And Woe Kenny. The fucking from Kenya. Six year old name that. 250 grams. Whoa, what the <laughs> fuck is the matter with you? Just because you've converted I'm to, drunk some, on a, to drunk some legit shit. It's good. Do you want to try some? Uh, yeah, dead air. It's, it's always fun. It's all right. I'm now know. passing Tom the coffee cup. I am now accepting receiving the coffee cup. The coffee cup. And having a sort of good beer. <laughs> Let's have a quick sip of this. Um, we shouldn't be promoting other brands. Oh, no, man. What? Yeah. It's not as good as Dark Arts Go at all. Go get out. No, I genuinely mean that. No, it's not as good, but it's still good. Just get it away. Get out of my it's face. It's nice. Get out of my face. Uh, I've got to make an apology. Okay. <laughs> I'm so mortified. Um, last, last episode... Mm. Okay, as a disclaimer, I think whoever does actually listen to this... Did you drop some bullshit facts in? No, it wasn't. Well, definitely that. <laughs> We're but, always dropping bullshit yeah, facts in. Yeah. Um, I I pronounced something wrong, but I, I really butchered it. Because usually I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't go out of my way to re-correct myself at a later date because I always think I'm right. But uh, uh, as a disclaimer... Um, when we're prepping for this, we don't do any sort of rehearsal or anything like that. We just jump straight into it. Uh, and we don't really know the structure. We just like to let it flow, uh, like our friendship has over the years. Like this podcast. Like a reluctant friendship over the years. We just want to get through it. Yeah. Um, and because of that, we don't... If anything has more than one syllable we're probably going to mispronounce it. So uh, I mispronounced Guadalajara uh, really, really badly uh, <laughs> last episode. Um, I think I said I gave two options. <laughs> Both were wrong. Uh, one of them was something like Guadalajara. And then the other one was literally, literally Guadalajara, which it's, is it is basically racist. Did you, <laughs> Do you want to get out the Majitos? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, for all of our Mexican hombres listening, <laughs> excuse me. I'm, I, I'm, I feel I felt so bad um, ever since 
that I'm, I mean, I outed myself. So is it more on, egregious that I didn't point it out in the first place? Well, Maybe I. Yeah, you should did, have picked up. You actually I, said. At I am the a time, man of the world. <laughs> yeah, but you actually said it at the time. Um, well, well done. <laughs> <laughs> you were really. You were like, oh, well done. You got that one out. Now, no one knows whether I was being sarcastic or whether I was being genuine. Yeah, but I knew you were being genuine. Yeah. Yeah, because you weren't even listening properly anyway. So as soon as you heard something with more than one syllable, you're like, oh, well done. I was man. trying to keep well up done, content on our Instagram channels by <laughs> like, filming um, the podcast live. <laughs> I uh, I posted up and uh, sort of outed myself on our Twitter, which is now live and something that we have access to because we didn't yeah. have access to Twitter for a very long time. Do you want to tell us where we can find that just just up top? Because uh, I know everyone switches off once we get past news. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. <laughs> a lot of people, when you actually listen to a professional podcast, they're like, they're pushing their socials first and foremost. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Why no. would you do that? Yeah, <laughs> you need to get to the end for that goal, baby. Uh, so if anyone wants to follow us, follow us. Uh, it's X and Ferris Pod. Uh, we're currently following 299 people uh, and we have the big 1-7 followers, nice. uh, including myself. And Matt, you don't have Twitter, do you? I do have Twitter. Um, but I don't use it it anymore and I actually I still use Instagram but I prefer Twitter way more than Instagram because it allows me to just throw unsolicited hate and opinions at people that I'll never meet yeah I mean it's poison yeah uh, that you know it's like an elixir it's like um you know the scene at the end of um Indiana Jones the third in the trilogy the racist one the racist one yeah, yeah with Sean Connery uh uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> those those aren't um, those are mutually exclusive. Just <laughs> spoiler, he's in spoiler it. alert. No, he's Sean just beats women. <laughs> um, at the end of the movie, you know, when he's sipping from the Holy Grail. Yeah. And then he suddenly turns into this like cadaverous like creature and dissipates and just fades away, gets blown away in the wind. Mm. That's Twitter. Yes. In a way, isn't it? It's a common gone now. The wrong elixir, and you're just like. No, man, I could be sipping that all day. <coughs> I could yeah. be. I don't know why I'm not back on it. I might have to get back on it. In fact, I might sure. even I might even drop my handle at the end of uh, at the end of this, which is also no my, way. Which is also my Instagram handle. Why? So, well, if people want to get involved, if people want to, if people want to at us directly, yeah, I want to hear about it. I actually have quite a healthy um, personal Twitter account. Don't know why. It, healthy it's, as it's in... It's literally leftist propaganda. Okay. <laughs> healthy uh, as in you post regularly or healthy as in you don't use it as a means to... Healthy as uh, it works perfectly for me. Uh, I use it irregularly on yep. a weekly basis and have quite a number of followers. So, don't know why. <laughs> and um, the majority of them are bots. Yeah. I know that because they but told it's me. Fine. I know numbers, that. <laughs> numbers don't lie, do they? I knew. I know that because I slid into pretty much ninety nine percent of them saying, "Hi, how are you? Do you want to be my friend?" And then I just got an automated response back. But you know, sell okay. a Yeah, but that's how it goes. That is. But how it now goes. we are. Now we are international podcast celebrities. That's all going to change. Yeah, so. I, I am still every time we're doing this questioning what the fuck is going on. No, it's all right, man. Welcome back to the X and Ferris podcast podcast all about heavy metal my name is Matthew I'm your host and with me as always is my co-host Mr Tom Watson that's me I just realized that I didn't do it again last week you didn't so, I was I, yeah. you should apologize as well. I should apologize oh there's more shit that we do on this podcast that we should apologize for <laughs> things that people I can't apologize all the time yeah 
Pe- things that people can't see because luckily we don't film this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Butt naked. Yeah, just ferociously masturbating. All the butts. Yeah. <laughs> Crying. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. You should be here. <laughs> Thinking of you. So, should we get stuck into it or is Let's there anything some... else that you wanted to um, oh, fuck no. regale it, with us? Literally, with... I need my own podcast for that. No? I don't need I I, I don't want you here. I just want the lights off. I should have a lot of shit to talk about because I had a whole week off last week and you had a whole week off the week before because we're fucking morons and we can't seem to plan anything and we should have just got the week off together and just done... We had a lot of music to to write. Straight podcasting. Well, we had a lot of... Oh, yeah, 24 Non-stop podcasting. podcasting. Yeah, rolling podcasting. Oh, God. But to be honest, last week was absolutely horrendous in terms of the weather and I think I actually wasted my week off by just being stuck to the sofa in yeah. tropical just a mess. temperatures. Also, you're on the second floor, or first yeah. floor, if you want to call it, um, and heat rises, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I bet you opened the windows as well. Like I did open the windows. cock. Why? You're not supposed to do that. Why? If it's scorching hot, you're supposed to have the windows shut and the curtains closed. No, surely yes, not. Yes, you are. Mm. Yes, you are. Google it. No. Oh, wait. I probably would have oh, got wait. something Oh, wait, in done. fact, pause it. <laughs> I probably would have got something done last week, but there you go. Yeah. Or maybe it's just me. Oh, just like, well, I did I did manage to spend five hours inside in a uh, cool environment because I ended up going to uh, going to the cinema and uh, watching the same film twice in the space of 24 hours. Really? Yeah. Which well, one? Because I desperately Why? wanted to Why go see it. Why did you watch it twice? Well, because I wanted to go see it and my partner was working that day. And then the next day I said, oh, I went to go see this. And they said, oh, I really wanted to see that. And I was like, the whole reason I went was because I thought you wouldn't want to go see it. It's midsummer, right? It was, yeah. yeah. It was good. Is that it? It was good. Mm, is that it? Yeah. Okay. Not Have you amazing? not seen it yet? No, I, I'm trying desperately it's, to illegally download it. And okay. I can't find it anymore. It's thoroughly enjoyable. Thoroughly enjoyable. It's not a horror though, is it? It's not horror. Which is good. No. I yeah, like that. It is. Yeah, I so, like it um, when trailers completely... Character study, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like it when trailers uh, are absolutely nothing like the movie yeah. uh, themselves. I also like trailers that show uh, every uh, sort of narrative, like, conjuncture in the whole film. So you can literally watch the trailer. The plot. And you'll know exactly what's going on. They usually yeah. do that with, like, uh, rom-coms, which is great. Yeah. Because you... You don't need to go. You don't need to pay for it. Well, it's like so, the hero with a thousand faces, isn't it? It's, there's only like seven storylines, apparently. Mm. Yeah. And one of them is uh, <laughs> is two boys and their podcast. <laughs> uh, let's talk about... Um, I have lots that I could talk about, but uh, I mean, I went to a stag, if, if anyone uh, knew where I was during the hours of X to Y. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, whoever did care. Where was this in uh, Belgium? Had contact. I went to uh, Brussels. Oh, yeah, lovely. Uh, it's very, I don't. <laughs> I, okay, I don't mean this. What are you going to do to offend the people of Brussels now? <laughs> I don't mean this in a bad way. I didn't. Th- I didn't really didn't think I was talking about this. If anyone that knows me, I'm unfortunately disgustingly liberal to the point where even me bringing it up makes me some obnoxious. I've got thing. loads of black friends, yeah, so right. I can't possibly be racist. Uh, Brussels is very impoverished, is what I was okay. going to say. Uh, it's not just like gangs of homeless people hanging out together on the street. It's like fucking families. You can call the them street. the great unwashed if you want to, Tom. <laughs> I was walking past a homeless Dave. lady 
and I was about to give some change. Uh, and there was a box next to her. And just before I got to her... A spout, um, no? I jumped back because out of the box popped this kid just out of the box eating some crackers. <laughs> <laughs> I assume that's what poor people eat. Yeah, but Brussels, Brussels was cool. Yeah. Uh, it's not... To be honest, I prefer Ghent. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, I went to Delirium Cafe. Uh, over 2K of uh beers there wonderful but the people that i went with because it was on a stag and i like vehemently didn't want to go um did they 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 were literally just like uh yeah are they fosters oh no (laughs) they weren't actually northern uh (laughs) (laughs) so they were just like tom just order whatever for us so i was there was me trying to like really dissect this beer menu and i was just Mm. like I'll just have fucking six of the top one. Thanks. Six okay. of number one, please. You didn't want to give away your um, supreme intelligence? No. Around, around no. foreign beers? Oh, cheers. This is really tasty. Do you know what, Tom? You're really smart. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's but, uh, anyway, what have you got for us? Oh, am I starting? Yeah. If you want to, I can go first. Uh, uh, fuck see, it, I'll see? jump in. Right, so turns out that Tool have finally announced the title. Their new album is Fear Inoculum. Well done. Well done. Well Took done. you long enough. Jesus Christ. And Good thing you're not working on commission. Yeah, and it's set to be released on the date of August 30th, and this is the follow-up to 2006's 10,000 Days. Uh, the name of the LP was unveiled on Monday, July 29th, in an Instagram post. Uh, Tool's new album is to believe to have been produced by Joe Barassi uh, and mastered by Bob Ludwig, who worked on 10,000 Days. And the recording began back in... Uh, March 2018. Mm-hmm. So it's been a while. Uh, so appearing on the Joe Rogan experience, our main competitor. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine that? He's been on that before, hasn't he? He has been on that yeah. very early on. I can't, I'm not a man who can listen to Joe Rogan. I think I've listened to, in total, about 10 episodes. Yeah. But he seems like such a prick. Very much like, like this. Exactly how we mimic Joe Rogan. He does fucking waffle, doesn't he? He just talks about fucking nonsense and he he has this guise that he doesn't have like this pre-bias, but he is absolutely biased in, in what he covers yeah. and who he gives platforms to, especially racists and fascists. But, Can you, but on the other side of the spectrum. And on the subject of that, James Maynard. <laughs> yeah. No, well, no. that's the thing. Like, how long can you listen to to him? To Who? James Keenan. Do you like Maynard to enjoy James Keenan, this? I just yeah, realized James I said Keenan. that ran the wrong way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, well, about as long as a tall album. Tall set. Yeah. About as long as a tall album and a normal Joe Rogan podcast is about three hours long. Yeah. Could you imagine if this shit was three hours long? So yeah, so appearing on the Joe Rogan experience, singer Maynard James Keenan gave a little more insight as to the writing process and the issues that band had encountered, uh, encountered getting together to create a new record. He explained that his bandmate's writing process is so drawn out, and I'm sure there's a lot of reasons why the delay has been long. Uh, there is Their process is very analytical, and I think at some point, maybe because so much time has gone by from their last album there's been a little bit of fear uh you think to yourself 
is this record going to be as good as the last one? The anticipation now, now the pressure is huge. So I'm sure some of that goes into goes into play with the yeah. record. Uh, Keenan expressed his relief being able to announce the album's release. Uh, he says that being able to tell people is more like a weight off his chest than anything. He said it took a lot of work and there are four of us and it's a lot of f- fucking work just to get anywhere. Uh, everything's a fucking commitment and always gets shot down. It's so, quite funny. It's like, okay, now we've got the title. Let's start working on the music. Yeah. Uh, and he says uh, Keenan claims one of the biggest roadblocks for the band was handling their success. Right. Yeah, saying saying when you get successful, you think uh, you think you're right about everything. You're sure you're pretty sure as an individual, I'm right and you're wrong. I'm successful and we're successful because of me, not because of you. So it sounds like our podcast, really. Yeah. Like the reason why there's so such big uh, distances in between our episodes is just because we're having to deal with the um. I wonder the pressure how of success. I wonder how uh, Caduceus Sellers is going on his um, his wine company, his winery. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, oh, look, we're gonna. We're what gonna do you think of the name? It. First of all, mm, it's it sounds like a fucking tall name. Yeah. It's, it's whatever. Like, as long as it sounds like a tool record, I think it will do well. I think Maynard James Keenan is, um, it, you know, those people that it's justified when they're arrogant. Yeah. Not just, they have a yeah, reason to that. be yeah. uh, the way they are. Um, whilst it is quite transparent that he is pretty... Dare, oh, I don't want to say obnoxious, but pretty obnoxious. Um, He's pretty obnoxious. I think you're well within your rights to say that. So I'll I'll listen to the record. I'll enjoy it. But I'm not literally going to then do what Helga does to Arnold, where I'm not going to make like a Maynard James Keenan sort of shrine in my, my house with the record, him holding the record. Like, I'm just going to say, okay, great. Very, very good. Move on to the next one. But then I don't know because I haven't heard the record yet. So but also, if he's referring to, like, individual successes of the band members, I would probably say that, given the perfect circle, yeah. he's not infallible. So... Mm, contentious. Mm. Yeah, it's contentious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's contentious. But there you go. But, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I'm sure we'll probably end up reviewing it. Or, yeah. yeah, or getting him on. Get, why not? We'll get on. Yeah, seems to enjoy talking to bald people. We laugh on about it now. Like, we laugh here about he it is. Now. <laughs> Just wheel him in. Uh, so the next topic is uh, pretty funny, and the reason being is not because of the content, not just because of the content of the news piece itself, but the fact that uh, we have a very close association. Uh, mm. with this band at least one of us does uh so the story goes uk they're regarded as a bit of a doom stoner, band but they're like more like yeah. stoner sort of influences of sludge because they've got that crusty punky beer and sort. roll yeah that <laughs> that fabled genre uh that that consists of one band and that you one band that. is orange goblin so or- orange goblin played um hello goblin Rambling Man Festival in Kent. Uh, and one of the fans named Daniel. Uh, not anymore, he's not. He went to give <laughs> a high five uh, to the front man, Ben Ward. And I think he Ward was issuing out some, <laughs> some strong <laughs> high fives at the time. Uh, and as Matt 
knows, uh, considering he has a very close association with Orange Goblin, is that Ben Ward is very big. Uh, he is a big old boy. Yeah, he's a big boy. Uh, so what happened during this uh, quick exchange between uh, young fan Daniel and big boy Ward uh, is that big boy Ward dislocated <laughs> young boy Daniel's shoulder. Um, so the... You mess with the ball, man. Yeah, I know, totally right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the comment that was left online by Orange Goblin following the incident, if you can even call it that, um, said, uh, Daniel had never seen us before and decided to check us out last weekend at Rambling Man Festival. You may notice he's strapped up. This is what happened in his words. I was in the pit. At gunpoint. Yeah. I was in the pit and headbanging in the front row and it was awesome as fuck. Uh, then the big bastard of a front man <laughs> come up and was high-fiving everyone. Me in my shirtless glory and frenzy stuck out my arm for a high-five. Well, the front man winds up, cracks the most colossal high-five I've ever felt and dislocates my shoulder. Uh, I have done it before, but fuck me, there was some venom in that. And then uh, Orange Goblin sign off by saying, fucking good riddance. Uh, anyway, uh, get, well, get well soon, Daniel. Sorry, sorry, Ben broke you a little bit. And glad you enjoyed your first OG experience. The paramedics and nurse were hot. I got given a shit ton of drugs and didn't want to see Foreigner anyway. I think that's... <laughs> that's all right. I don't think you even needed to include yeah. the last part, did yeah. you? Just goes without saying. Yeah, so very... Uh, oh! Wow, that is loud. That is just the baby that I have locked in my basement. Yeah, that so. is your baby. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, do you want to speak about Ben Ward and your experience? Have you? Has he ever high-fived you? I have felt the grasp of Ben Ward's handshake many a time, and I have to say that he is a, a strong but gracious man. And uh, is I that no- in times of desperation? Yeah, absolutely. We're going to write a good record, <laughs> man, right? <laughs> he, is, he is a lovely dude, and actually... Uh, in terms of when we started this podcast, he was the first person that came to my mind when I was like, "We should get, we should get someone in on this to have, yeah. a, have a good he, chat." He doesn't even need a microphone. He's a no. He's, he booms. So, but he is an absolutely lovely dude. He booms. And, yeah, he <laughs> booms. And uh, he's an absolutely lovely dude, and I'd like to get him on the podcast at some point. We're yeah. going to at him in the description of this on Instagram, and hopefully, he'll listen to it and go, "No oh, shit." Is that... That's how he sounds. That is a pitch perfect... Oh, shit. That is a... Oh, shit. That is a um, pitch perfect impersonation. But, yeah, Ben is an absolutely lovely dude, and I'm sure that that was not done on purpose. Question number one. Are you a boomer? If he wanted to, he could have done it on purpose. Yeah. Because he is a strong man. Ben, do you boom? Um. Do you have another thing you want to talk Just about? very quickly. Very I mean, I thought it was going to... You think this is more interesting than I do because it's slightly scandalous, but I kind of just went, well, pff, you know, happens, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, but Metallica have been called out by a congressman after it was disclosed that apparently uh, they've been selling their tickets for quite some time. I believe there was a call back in 2017 between um, the US president of concerts uh, of Live Nation and a longtime Metallica associate. Uh, they have been selling, I believe in total, it was around 88,000 tickets to 
resellers yeah. in order for them to sell them at a higher price than what would have been the usual face value for fans. And they're essentially divvying up the revenue that's that's coming in and it's being shared out between... Um, I'm just trying to see what the breakup was. I think it was like 40-40 and then 20 going to... Metallica's associates, but the band have kind of stated that they have absolutely no knowledge of this going ahead. Okay. Although sources seem to say that this actually dates back further than this, that it's that this was happening around 2008 as well. So this isn't a new development just for a tour that happened recently in 2019. Um, but this has apparently been a problem quite quite a um widespread problem with band with sorry with websites like live nation some of those bigger ticketing websites in order to pull in more revenue and someone who has also been falling foul of these allegations is performers like bruce springsteen um motherfuckers born to run yeah and uh, and interestingly there has been a new uh piece of legislation new act put in place called the boss act Okay. And I don't know whether that has anything to do with the fact that it was... That's clever. Yeah. However, what it is, what it actually stands for, and they're obviously desperately trying to make <laughs> trying this Trying to fit, find an acronym. Yeah, is <laughs> better oversight of secondary sales and accountability in concert ticketing. So actually, yeah. what it should be is Boss Act Act. Yeah. Okay, yeah. 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 Because the acronym is the Boss Act... Yeah, act. And it is the act. Uh, so there you okay. go. So yeah. who's who's these are the people who are represent, yeah. representing this country. So um, Fucking hell. Not our country. Yeah. Their country. <laughs> our country. Can't even come up our with good acronyms. Yeah. Our country team. <sighs> yeah. The fucking shithead act. I got <laughs> an acronym for that. But yeah, I mean that's I mean what companies Companies are being shit and making more money than they should do. Like, yeah. th- wh- wh- where is this a surprise for anyone? You've got to make like, that. Like, capitalism's going to be capitalism. Yeah. Got to make you do that you, I'll do me. Yeah. Somehow. Exactly. Yeah. Might sell higher ticket prices, might delete later. All that fucking shit <laughs> thing. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, very quickly, I do want to touch on something that I think actually um, was published. This is fresh off the press, today. isn't it? Yeah. Watch. Um, so, Hatebreed's uh, Jamie uh, has been in a bit of a Twitter beef with a quite renowned uh, indie, like en- an enemy darling group uh, called Churches. Do you, are you familiar with Churches? Churches, churches with, with a v. v. So yeah, they're called Churches. Yeah, Chiverches. Chiverches. Are um, they from Scotland? I That actually does ring a bell. Yeah, because I'm not entirely sure. They have a lady, and I've seen them, a lady not... vocalist. Yeah, yes, Matthew. A unbelievable. Yeah. That's news in and of itself. Yeah, bloody PC gone mad. Yeah, um, I've actually oh, seen them. Got not a easy vagina, woman. <laughs> um, not out of uh, choice, but I have seen Chavirch's live. Okay, how um, was that for you? Oh, it was, it was incredibly dull. It did, it beat, did it beat the experience that we had that we're going to talk about? Uh, no. 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 One might say that the uh, the band that we saw that we're going to be covering was the best show that we've, we've ever, ever seen. seen. Uh, okay, so 
There's been a bit of a feud online between Hatebreed and the group Churches, and you'd think, why would Hatebreed instigate a fight with uh, indie indie band unless Other they're than being like... a bunch of meatheads? So earlier this week, the Deftones okay. announced uh, the lineup Hot for their twist. second annual edition of Dia de los uh, Deftones, uh, which is uh, a festival that the band members themselves curate. Um, so Deftones are a metal band. Mm -hmm. Uh, they have inferences of post-metal, post-rock, ambient. Uh, one could probably go as far as to say that they were a metal band and very much now have become it's a bit of a household name. And they're, they're, they've become, it's an umbrella term now, Deftones, yeah. for lots of things. They're yeah. very atmospheric. We don't really need to go into what Deftones sound yeah, like. Yeah, well, we'll, they can wait until we do an episode about it. Yeah. Um, so the bill for this festival doesn't just include metal acts. Uh, it's got people like uh, Gajira, Youth Code and Brutus, but also has people like JPEG Mafia, uh, Megan The Stallion, which neither of these people you'll be familiar with, Matt, right? I'm sitting here with yeah, yeah, dribbling out the side of my mouth. <laughs> um, but they are vo both... Um, very sort of acclaimed underground hip-hop acts. Um, and churches are also lined up for the bill as well. So Hatebreed didn't really like this, uh, especially because churches apparently are performing after Gujira. Okay. So they're paying above Gujira. Uh, that so being said, churches are probably bigger than Gujira. Well, it depends what depends what kind of yeah what kind of crowd they're pulling in. But yeah. I assume if they're getting all these different genres together, it's not just going to be yeah. a, a solely metal. So show. this so this is what the the former Headbangers Ball host mm. had to say about it on Twitter. Uh, who is Churches with a V, and why the fuck are they playing over Gajira? Get the fuck out of here. Uh, have you ever heard the heaviest matter in the universe? You're going to get embarrassed off the stage. Lol. No offense. Uh, God, the music industry sucks sometimes. Uh, and then he said, update, Google churches with a V. They got to be huge. They did a song with a guy with a marshmallow mask and people love it. Good for them. So um, Lauren Maybury, uh, who's the vocalist for churches, also then chimed in, uh, said, Deftones curated the lineup, so I don't know how that speaks to problems with the music industry. Uh, I think it's important and powerful that they promote the idea of a diverse community and try to bridge gaps instead of being guided by limiting, antiquated ideas about genre. I saw Gojiro in Glasgow years ago and have seen Deftones three times, so I was excited uh, when we got asked to play on the bill. Just because someone plays or listens to pop music doesn't mean they don't understand or appreciate other things. Uh, and then it goes on and on and on, this spat mm. between Jaster and uh, Lauren. Uh, for example, uh, Jamie says, I'm sure they're lovely people in a popular group. I don't agree with the lineup at order. Same with other festivals. If anyone is butthurt about my opinion, wait till you hear the podcast. Uh, not this one. Uh, metal <laughs> needs to be shown more respect. Longer career, legacy, more albums, build them higher. Uh, the funniest thing that he said was something about how... Um, their promoter and their agent completely strong-armed Deftones into putting them higher above Kajira. 
Where, where, what's his source? Uh, well, the, the lineup itself. Yeah, like, he but, was like, oh, yeah, you must have the most amazing agent because... So, he's, ba- so he's basing his opinion on assumptions. He, he thinks that it's the agent that's gone like, hey, man... Uh, do you you want know, to- fuck Jamie Jaster. Like, I have absolutely no respect for that guy, first and foremost, because... Does anyone like Hatebreed? Well, obviously people yeah. like Hatebreed. Do you do. like Hatebreed? Yeah. Fuck off. Get out of here. Nah, man. We can't be on this podcast nah, anymore. Nah. 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 I think, they suck. Look, yeah, but there's novelty in <laughs> in it. So yeah, but it only gets you so far. Like, you like Netflix. Yeah, it only gets you so far hosting fucking... Yeah, fucking Headbangers Ball. Ball. Yeah, nice one. Yeah. Yeah, fuck you, Jamie Jaster. <sighs> Sorry, we're gonna we're gonna call them out on Instagram. We're gonna start our own beef. Well, we're gonna do a uh, a whole episode shortly on uh, such thing as headbangers ball. So, oh, well, cheers for giving it away. I did. I t- well, no one gives a fuck. <laughs> yeah, they do. Okay, let's 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 move into the actual topic. Okay, so how are we gonna um? <laughs> So how are we going to do this? We, a couple of weeks ago, we went to go see a live show, which is quite a big thing for us because we are boys that enjoy sitting on our sofa and not doing much. No, 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 no. We are very prolific. We just prefer to be on the stage. Yeah. Rather than looking up, once once you get the taste for being in a band, you we don't prefer wanna... to be on the stage yeah, every wanna... three years. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to be back with the fucking paupers, do you? No. You want to be up there making and creating, breaking hearts, changing yeah. lives. So we ended up going to the Kentish Town Forum, which is a um, speaking of which, you've been on that stage, uh, yep. which is a nice little venue in North London, and we went to go see. Perhaps one of my favourite bands ever, and probably probably one of the most influential bands that I've actually acted upon in terms of listening to a band and then kind of bringing that bringing their sound into and trying to almost recreate what they're yeah trying to achieve poorly, but still just the Baymore. Yeah. So a couple of weeks ago, we went to go see the band Neurosis. Mm. Uh, they were being supported by bands such as Godflesh and also the band Yob. So it so was, good. yeah. So Godflesh were already announced, and that is a pretty stacked bill. That's but a then you add, very solid lineup. Yeah, but then you add Yob on top and you go, fuck me, that yeah. is something else. And it was interesting because the last time I saw Neurosis, I've seen them three times. Um, I've seen, <laughs> yeah, so I've seen Neurosis three times. And the second time was also at the Kentish Town Forum and it was with Godflesh supporting. So it was interesting to see almost exactly the same show, just with the addition of Yob. Uh, Wait, didn't you, didn't the first time you saw them at um, the forum, mm. um, they had visuals in tow? No. So that was just after, just right. after their visual artist left. Um, the first time I saw them, which was at the Coco, was when I, and that was 2000 and it was either 2011 or 2012. I'm going to say 2012. That was, yeah, it must have been 2012. That was the first time I saw them, and that was with visuals. And I have to say, that first time is probably definitely the best, right? Best show 
by them that I've seen. Okay. I need to see them more. I'd like to see them more because they are one of my favourite bands ever. Um, but what was your... You came to this show incredibly excited. I think both of us came incredibly excited for Neurosis, but we also had personal interests in both bands. In, both band, yeah. in all bands that played. My particular focus was on Yob, and your yeah. focus, whilst it was still on Yob, was... Godflesh. Godflesh. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so... I don't think we need to sugarcoat this in any way. Mm. Um, the the order of performance from best to worst, yeah, from best to worst is mm. probably going to be Yob best, yeah. like hands down, yeah. just absolutely stunning. Yeah, uh, and then it probably will be a toss up depending on what time you're speaking to me between Godflesh and Neurosis because mm. both of those acts still put on an absolutely incredible show. However, there was something about that Yob performance that, and what I was, what really surprised me is that the, um, usually for, uh, for the first act on uh, any given uh, show, uh, the PA and the engineers are still trying to figure out exactly mm. how to balance out the sounds. Um, and what was really interesting dynamically with Yob versus a band like Godflesh that came on afterwards, and Godflesh have the reputation of being so outrageously loud, it makes your face melt, blah, 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 is that Yob's sound, the production value of their live performance was so Pitch perfect. good. Yeah. In comparison to Godflesh, that mm. actually had a lot of technical issues uh, throughout until around Post Self, which was about six tracks in or something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was overwhelming. I I think I I still there's something about that Yob show. I mean, they only played what three tracks? Three tracks. They started with oh, fuck. I should know this. But then they, they finished with two tracks off the new record, which, to be honest, I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of their most recent record. I know that you really enjoyed it from last year. Yeah, why, why um, don't you like it? I don't know. I just found... I found there was too much, if that makes sense. It yeah. was almost like... Before that, their last album had four tracks on it, and it was incredibly, incredibly focused, whereas this one felt a bit more kind of airy and not quite as dense and tight um but yeah but but live it it worked slightly better i mean i still would have preferred to because it was my first time seeing yob i'd never seen yob before i still would have liked to have seen them perform something off atma mm -hmm. um or even like going back to like ball of molten lead uh but you know, it was it was a really great show, and it was surprising how good the atmosphere was, considering they were the first band on, and you kind of have that kind of skepticism around yeah. the fact that you're worried about the sound going into it. But the and the room was full, but mm. it was nothing like like halfway through Godflesh, yeah, where the the place just started, and that that's inevitable. That's always going to happen. But and I'm not saying that it was dead. For Yob, I mean, the the room was like you couldn't particularly see the floor, mm. but there was a real rush, like midway through Godflesh and obviously through Neurosis, uh, like the place was completely packed out. Mm. But it really did surprise me that for 
a lineup of three such strong acts that people weren't queuing up for ages just to get in to see Yob as well as Godflesh and Neurosis. Um, but yeah, they really blew me away. Yeah. They really blew me away. Uh, Godflesh, kind of another story there. Godflesh kind of suffered from the same problem that they had the first time I saw them with Neurosis, which is the fact that you have this pre pre-expectation that you're going to go into it and it's going to melt your absolute face off because they always get bandied about as this band that are just unrelentingly heavy live. Yeah. And to be honest, it just felt like there was a limiter on the entire thing. Like yeah. they just pulled the master on the desk down by a few decibels when you just really want it to crank a little bit further to the point where you can physically feel it. And to be honest... There was a lot of problems with the with what I felt was with the backing track, the, the yeah. drums. So it didn't yeah. feel like they really got got the kind of the frequencies that should be coming through, yeah. such as all the bass end and the kick drum didn't really peak until three tracks before the end. Which yeah. was there a, was like a four oh four error. Yeah, something <laughs> on the computer. What really they takes, got the uh, spinny wheel of doom yeah, on their yeah. Mac. What really takes you out of the moment as well because I mean Godflesh are just organically amazing yeah um but what really takes you out of the moment is where bands have to constantly uh point to the PA Mm. to express what they need turning up and turning down um sort of takes you out of it makes you feel suddenly a little bit um it makes you very aware that you're watching a band that is performing and you kind of don't but by the end of it to be fair to godflesh uh everyone in the crowd was pretty much like swaying and moving and headbanging yeah. so that was i mean they pulled it back but i felt a little bit distant from mm. them and not just because we were right next to the the booth the pa yeah. booth but that's where the best sound is yeah so it's there for a reason yeah um, and then with Neurosis, so I mean, I think the same problem, again, the same problem with Neurosis was the same problem that I had last time. And the fact that they have, it's a shame that they haven't looked into replacing their visual guy. Because whilst the music should 100% absolutely stand on its own, and it does absolutely stand on its own, once you've had that experience... You can't go back. Yeah, like, I mean, I get it. It's you, like they porn. just can't afford it. Once you've had, once you've had some seriously dark shit, you can't go back yeah. to missionary position. Yeah. They call it deep so. web for a second, <laughs> for a reason. But yeah, and I mean, and this is another. I think this is something that's worth bringing up, and we will just discuss it now. But they have such a vast back catalogue of material. On top of that, all of their tracks are relatively long songs. So obviously there's only X amount of songs that they can fit in their set. Yeah. The majority of their set that they played, apart from A Sun That Never Sets, was made up of the last three records that they released. Obviously many people go into these kind of like expecting to hear things off Times of Grace, expecting to hear things off Through Silver and Blood. Even Souls of Zero if you get them on a good day. Yeah. Do they have any responsibility to their audience to play old stuff? My dad would contest with this, actually, but we went to go see Wire last year, and Mm. Wire are criminal for not playing old material. And I don't mind it, because 
you're still witnessing a band trying to grow and still trying to like yeah. once you drop something from mm. the set list it's almost it's such a breath for you as a band it's such a relief yeah um and i think neurosis feel exactly the same like they're older dudes now yeah. Right, Scott Kelly is, oh, he's old. <laughs> he's an old motherfucker. Yeah. Um, so they have they no probably duty don't, to. They don't want to return to a lot of the material through Silver and Blood, not just for practical reasons, yeah. but probably for emotional reasons. Because they're as well. different people. And yeah. I mean, that's something that they, that's something from looking this up. By the way, we're, we're going to try and go through a little bit of an abridged history of, of the band. Um, that is something that they brought up, particularly with that record and particularly with the fact that people want to hear songs off that record live because to some extent it was the kind of the height of their commercial and critical success yeah. was through Silver and Blood era. And it's certainly probably their most intense record. I'd say yeah. that there are other parts of other albums that do m kind of meet those kind of dizzying heights of of through Silver and Blood. Yeah. But... I do I do believe that injecting a lot of your own personal demons into your into your art is a real thing. Like I don't think it's pretentious to be like it's you difficult. Know, yeah, it's yeah. it's not pretentious to be like I am an I am an individual who has suffered and I want to express that through yeah. art, through my art. Neuroses are so um And they're driven into that as that. well. They yeah. are literally like pushed by their just raw emotion yeah, to the point where it's almost as if the song exists as their sole outlet yeah. for their problems as individuals yeah uh, and that's why to be fair they come across as quite spiritual uh, yeah in a lot of their interviews and things like that because they've had they've been through some hard shit which we will probably touch on yeah so they probably don't want to return to that really negative area of their life every night yeah whilst they're on tour because it probably will be a real battering for them. yeah and they kind of say that especially through silver and blood era is is their bleakest and you can hear it in the record it's their bleakest period and they kind of don't want to revisit those songs because they've moved on as people which is completely understandable um and kind of inevitable and that they've just they've created these new things that's a new chapter of their lives and they want to present it to people and yeah the the even though you pay the ticket you're not paying yeah. To have a request played, you're paying exactly. to have the experience yeah. of what this these group of individuals have prepared for you. They've prepared this set list for you to enjoy. Yeah. And yeah, but I mean yeah, but I mean, you know, part of part of the thing that made probably because I mean the first time I saw them I I did see songs like Locust Star and I did see songs like Free Silver and Blood. And it would have been nice to have seen those tracks because I love those tracks. But to me, they mean something completely different than to the people yeah. who, who wrote them. And the, the set list wasn't bad. I mean, you've got To The Wind on yeah. there, which is still a, a contemporary fan favourite. Yeah. So it's not like they're just playing sort of off cuts and like B cuts and things like that. They're The B side, sorry. Like they're, and which would have been cool in itself. But yeah. they are taking things into consideration. They're trying to construct some sort of conceptual arc, I guess, mm. even through a live 
setting and it and it does work yeah um what i really like to like about their performance from what i've obviously from what i've seen online but also seeing them live uh is sort of how they do intention almost not not intentionally but they do veer away from being note perfect yeah uh they really embrace which i think like if you look at bands like isis uh, and even bands like Eamon Ra, um, who are sort of disciples of neurosis. I mean, they influenced a whole. Yeah, um, they they are cleaner acts. Like if you go, they're technical acts, and if you go to watch them live, they're going to mm. probably be slightly more note perfect than uh, neurosis. And that's I think the fundamental reason for that is because neurosis are trying to convey as much of a feeling as they are the like sort of reinterpret the music for a live setting. Yeah. Um, and actually Steve Kelly, I've got a quote here from him. Uh, Scott Kelly. Uh, Steve Kelly. St- Scott Kelly. Did I say Steve Kelly? Sorry. You just amalgamated oh, the two into me. one. Yeah. Well, they are kind of, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Scott Kelly said, um, We've had the same lineup for 19 years. Uh, Steve's been in the band since 1989. So four of the five musicians have been together for 23 years. I'm not sure. Obviously, they've passed their 30th anniversary now. But uh, anyway. I think it's 33 uh, now, isn't it? Mm, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 33, 33, yeah. No, uh, 34, because it would be 85. It was 2016, wasn't it? What? Anyway, forget. Whatever. Uh, me, Dave, and Jason started it, and we played together previously in another band. It was never a concern of ours. What's the point of be- beating songs to death, taking the life out of them? That's how it feels to me when you drill stuff over and over. I don't like it, and none of us do. Uh, just do it until you know the shit, and then let it breathe, let it have some life. Yeah, which I think is great. Yeah, like, absolutely. One, I one hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. So Remember when whenever we're playing stuff together, like. When we sucks the life out of the tour, room when you yeah uh, you the, you play a song at the start of the tour mm. and it it's not an entirely different song by the end of the tour because that would just be fucking weird yeah um, but it has evolved mm. it has it's sort of like grown legs and extra yeah. limbs <laughs> appendages yeah. so neurosis uh, they formed in Oakland California and this was in 1985 and the first real lineup in terms of when they were kind of appearing on uh, Flyers One on playing shows was uh, made up of guitarist and vocalist Scott Kelly, uh, bassist David Edwardson and jam- uh, drummer James Roder, I believe is how you pronounce his name, before yeah, we fuck up any more pronunciation. some guacamole with that Roder? <laughs> And this lineup was rounded out a, a year later by uh, the addition of uh, Chad Salter, who's on second guitar and, and vocals. Uh, previously, Edwardson and Rhoda were in the band uh, Violent Coercion, and Neurosis formed out of the same DNA initially that that informed that band from this kind of hardcore punk and it wasn't the hardcore punk you were getting in america they took more of their influence from the kind of cross punk scene that you were getting in uh, the uk at the time so you know bands like discharge the verrucas and amoebics uh, some of the bands that were informing them at the time uh Unfortunately, I don't have a huge amount about the other bands apart because the most verbose individual and tends to give the majority of the interviews is is Scott Kelly. Mm -hmm. Um, So I got to learn a little bit more 
about him. I know he actually grew up in Illinois and then ended up in San Diego, and that's kind of where he spent the majority of his youth. And he started kind of going to shows in San Diego at the age of uh, 12. And he said that the thing that really made him love music to begin with was bands like Deep Purple. And he always said, you know, this is kind of like the real shit. This is what I want to get into. But I kind of wish it was more intense. Like he always wanted that next level that just kind of wasn't brought about by the kind of classic rock scene. At the time, which wouldn't have been called cl- classic rock at that point, it would yeah. just been called rock. Yeah. Um, but he wanted something. <laughs> he wanted something more intense. So he kind of started listening to these mixtapes of bands like Black Flag, and that later evolved into anti flag. Yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's, a, that's a, actually an industry uh, secret. Is that Black Flag actually evolved into, into anti flag? So. It's like the world's shittest Pokemon. Um, <laughs> And uh, this later turned into a love for bands like Celtic Frost. He makes special mention of uh, the Morbid Tales EP um, being a huge influence on him. And as we mentioned earlier, um, Amoebix's Rise record, which I think is probably out of that early kind of crust scene, is probably one of the most influential albums next to say something like Hear Nothing, See Nothing, Say Nothing. Yeah, You bloody love Um, Amoebix, don't you? I I do enjoy Amoebix. Not so much anymore. Yeah. Not since um not going, since not since going vegan. Yeah. Not yeah. since um some members seem to have a bit of a liking for crypto fascist white supremacist. You bloody love a me, Vic. So, <laughs> <laughs> um but he first learned how to play guitar because like every great thing, it comes out of spite. Like this entire podcast, we do this just to spite everyone. <laughs> just to spite each other. Yeah, is he um, is he learned how to play guitar on his father's guitar at the time because his father couldn't, couldn't play it. So he was like, well, if you can't play it, I'm going to fucking learn how to play learned. it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and he kind of claims that, because um, in his, before Neurosis, he was mainly a bass player. And yeah. he kind of claims that he almost plays his guitar to this day almost like a bass and you can kind of hear that in their sound that very kind of thudding quality which almost goes beyond just the drums and the bass it goes into other aspects like the guitar work um so he says that you know his love of music actually ended up getting him thrown out of his house when he was around 15 i think it was actually on his 15th birthday he was thrown out of his house which ended up him kind of migrating into the DIY punk scene. And that's something that is also worth bringing up about Neurosis, is that their dedication to the DIY punk scene. I don't think we've... I don't think any of the bands that we've talked about thus far on the... It's fine, you don't need to... It's coming across. Um, I know, I know. uh, None of the bands that we've talked about thus far that I can think of off the top of my head have had a DIY aspect of them uh, to to the extent of proper diy hardcore punk where you're putting on your own shows you're recordings mm, mayhem yeah i guess they had their own record label didn't they so yeah why hire a hitman when you can do it yourself <laughs> so yeah so they got heavily well scott got heavily involved in that diy scene um and that that resulted in him he said that he 
ended up at this place called New Method Warehouse, which is actually where Neurosis started and it was kind of almost like a bit of a squatty artist commune where people were able to get together and start these artistic projects. And that's actually what led him to uh, end up becoming very good friends at the time with the guys in Melvin's. Uh, so he ended up actually spending three days before, I think this was before Neurosis was together, he actually ended up spending three days just sat in a room with the guys from Euro, uh, with the guys from Melvin's, just watching them practice. And even the guys from Melvin's say that they he was their first band friend because everyone thought they fucking sucked. And Scott Kelly was at the time the only individual who was really into this kind and of. He didn't have anywhere else to go. No. <laughs> so yeah, so that kind of that certainly informed him in terms of because they were doing even at that time, Melvin's were a bit more kind of um I don't know how you'd express it. They they weren't riding the line of, you know, just being a straightforward heavy metal. I don't rock even think act. they've ever done that. No, never. Um they always had these ideas of kind of being a bit more fruity if you will <laughs> flaky yeah uh so in their first lineup they ended up eventually actually releasing their first full-length record which is a record called uh, pain of mind which um was released in 87 on alchemy records mm. uh who appears to have only truly been <clears throat> that record appeared record label only appears to have truly been active for around three years i think it was between 87 and 89 and a few of the records that they've released uh Notably include uh, actually the Melvins' debut a debut album, which was uh, Glory Porch Treatments, and uh, Poison Ideas' uh, second album, which was uh, War All the Time. Um, I think they also released a Sacrilege record, if I'm oh yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, but this wasn't the only time that this record was released. It has been released subsequently by uh, two other record labels talking about their DIY kind of prowess they mm. have their own record label which we'll, we'll, we can talk about a yep. little bit later um, which has released this record since um, but one of the labels that they released it on in the intervening times was uh, Alternative Tentacles, Tentacles. yeah, which is uh, Jello Biafra's record label of the Dead Kennedys you sound like you wanted to uh, jump in you love, no, a bit of, you love a bit of Jello yeah it's fucking brilliant he's he so weird he is so weird we should get him involved yeah he'd love to be on this yeah <laughs> carry on thank you so that was re-released in 1994 um and later in 2000 on their own recording label uh record label sorry uh new rock records and whilst the original record featured artwork by uh jcb story the 1994 reissue on alternative tentacles uh featured a cover of uh, pennsylvanian politician robert bud dwyer moments before committing suicide on live tv earlier that year with a uh, 0.357 magnum revolver if you don't think we do our um research, research on yeah. this uh on this podcast, you'd be vastly mistaken. So the so, yeah, so the album kind of almost takes like a bit of a twisted humour with that new album cover. Um, it was uh, so this was the only record to actually feature the original, uh, well, the the original second guitarist uh, Chad Salter uh, before being replaced by Steve Von Till. 
So do you know how they met? So I know that at the at the time, I think they were playing uh is it three nine four Gilman? Uh oh fuck. I can't remember the numbers. Yeah. I should know this because it is an absolute Uh I don't think it is three nine four. Uh I think it's nine something. Oh, we are actually checking it out now. 924, this, thank you. 924. 924 yes. Gilman, I believe is where they met. I, I won. <laughs> yeah. I won. Uh, I believe that's where they met. Um, and they were playing a, a show with Neurosis at the time. Neurosis were on stage. And apparently Scott Kelly's, I don't know whether it's his current partner or whether it was a, um, a, a previous partner, but they had a child at the time. And I think the, I think the child was very young and ended up, uh, cause they'd have to sit in the car whilst neurosis were performing, uh, his, his partner and, and the child. And eventually the child got a bit restless, ended up walking into the venue and, uh, someone ended up pretty much crowd killing the kid no. or like crowds, something, way. something very violent and ended up, you know, almost hurting this child. And Shit. this person got grabbed by the throat and I can't remember whether it was violently beaten or just given stern words, but someone took this person aside and dealt with them, shall oh. we say, to which... Scott Kelly was very appreciative. He didn't get to speak to this person that intervened. But then a few weeks later, I believe he was at some kind of show or like a, you know, like a squat party. And he ended up bumping into this person who intervened. And it turned out that it was Mr. Steve Von Till. Was it? And that was how they met. No So violence way. solves everything. Yeah, wow. Ju- exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, Trudy. Yeah, so it's that was uh, in uh, that was in 1989 when he was he joined the band, and at this point, this ba- the band kind of took a bit of a change because Steve Von Till he is, and they're two separate sides of the same coin, kind of Scott Kelly and Steve Von Till, in terms of it's difficult to wrap it's not, your head round. It's not like, yin, and, yin and yang. Because they're on the same <clears throat> page. They're, they're not opposing. Yeah. They're bringing two, out... Two sides of the brain. Yeah, they're, they're bringing out... One stupid one. <laughs> they're bringing out better qualities almost in, in each other. But I think Steve Until had this very kind of profound influence on where they wanted to take their music. Uh, so... This was also where they kind of expanded their lineup a little bit and they uh, enlisted Simon McIlroy uh, on their second album, which was uh, The Word As Law. And this is an eight-track album that featured slightly longer track lengths and slightly more kind of progressive compositions. And it still harboured that sheer aggression of yeah. what you were getting on Pain of Mind, but also kind of added these more groove-laden kind of vibes. And it it's kind of strange that the keys and also less less traditional punk instrumentation was being used. I don't know whether it was on this record or the next record, but I know that they started incorporating things like trumpet and viola and violin. Yeah. And they said that even just the fact that they had the audacity to introduce uh, keyboards yeah. was almost sacrilege 
It was difficult, wasn't it? A lot yeah. of their audience. A lot just... of their audience just turned away and yeah. wouldn't even give them the time of day, which is crazy. Because yeah. I mean, they... it's crazy because bands like Less Than Jake exist. <laughs> but they, um, but they ended up because it was always a toss up for them because they said that they were they needed to expand in some way, and they said that they couldn't decide whether it would be to add a third guitarist or to add keyboards, and they kind of almost saw keyboards as like this limitless boundary that they could just expand completely and to be honest i wouldn't even say that what they do currently is just quote unquote keyboards it's something more than that because now they're incorporating soundscapes uh drones they're incorporating samples yeah uh to the point in which they've made it part and parcel of of the project i don't think neurosis would be the same without that extra level of instrumentation uh so yeah, I mean, this—it still isn't even an easy record to listen to. Whereas "Pain of Mind" was, um, "Pain of Mind," you could say took more influence from kind of like the the easier. I'd say "Discharge" is slightly easier to listen to than "Amoebix." "Amoebix" is slightly more disjointed, and this second record, I think, takes from the latter in terms of its yeah. influence. Um, yeah, so it was at this point that they kind of because of the because of the issues that they were finding with their um with their fans kind of shying away from them because of the fact that they were incorporating all this extra instrumentation, they kind of veered away from the punk culture and almost slightly got accepted more by the by the um by the metal scene. And it's interesting because I was listening to an interview with Scott Kelly and he was saying that it's it's interesting because you always consider metal to be slightly more conservative and punk to be slightly oh, more... Open. Yeah, but whereas it seems to kind of almost be the complete opposite when it comes to, when it, when it comes to kind of creation. Yeah. Like, uh, so punk slightly yeah, more... Yeah, I, I get that, yeah. Yeah, regressive. So this record was uh, released on the 1st of June uh, 1990 on Lookout Records, who were uh, named after the band Lookouts, who were formed by label founder uh, Larry Livermore. I've never listened to Lookout. Are you familiar with Lookout? No, not the Lookouts, but I'm very familiar with one of their roster. Are you referring to their drummer? Their drummer? But did he go on to do something else? Of the Lookouts? No, I don't know who the drummer of the Lookouts is. So the so the drummer of the Lookouts was none other than a twelve year old Trey Cool, uh, okay. soon to be of yeah. Green Day fame, soon to be forever sixteen. Trey Cool, yeah, Cool, his with his checkered tie, yeah. and his green hair. Oh dear, but I mean, but again, like like ninety four Gilmore, uh, get sorry ninety four Gilman Street. You know, you had bands that were kind of getting together like Green Day and you were getting, like Neuro- Neurosis were famous for playing there. Um, and it's kind of di- it's kind of interesting that those bands have such a close tie. I remember buying a Destroy record who are kind of like a grindy, crusty hardcore band and their insert sleeve is just littered with posters and one of the main ones that kind of features when you take the CD off the um, CD tray is a um, Green Day and Destroy poster. So it's, um, it was a different time, wasn't it? Yeah, just to confirm, Green Day used Dogs to be... Dogs and cats living together. Green Day used to be very good. When? 
Which, when? Which period would you say was very good of Green Day? Uh, when they released on Lookout. Their first record was really mm. good on Lookout. Uh, I think Dookie was okay. Yeah. Uh, I think they started to go downhill. I think International Super Hits as a compilation record. I, had, I did buy that um, record when I was young. It's, it's, a, it's a moderately good compilation record. Yeah. Um, and then I would say the best album by the Beatles is the best of the Beatles. So um. <laughs> there we go. Uh, Nimrod's okay. Yeah. But anyway, why are we talking about Green Day? Because um, people want to hear it. Nimrod's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nimrod's all right. But yeah, so I mean, uh, yeah, and this re-release, the re-release of the uh, of the record featured a cover and I think that we have spoken about this previously not on this podcast but just as just as friends because we do speak just as we friends, are friends occasionally as well. yeah uh, it features a cover of Joy Division's Day of the Lords which which they played at the uh, uh, the thing didn't they yeah which at on the its, thing at, which on its own in its original state is one of the most depressing songs ever written yeah and they almost make it more so, and almost slightly even a better song. I think that their, no. I think their cover might be better than the original. Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll find out. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. So, so after that, this was when they took an even further kind of twist into the more metal scene. So their third album was uh, Souls of Zero, nineteen ninety-two. Uh, it's named derived from a chapter of the book, uh, the Great Secret, the Great and Secret Show by British horror author. Uh, of such of uh, Hellraiser and Candyman, Clive Barker, um, and it saw this kind of wholesale turn start listically with an introduction of even slower compositions and these kind of sludge. I mean, this thing when we get into these pigeonholing of post metal and sludge metal, I would say that there is a clear, clear distinction between post metal and sludge metal. Yeah, I mean, sludge has the uh, the hardcore influence in there. And it has the crust influence in there, and it very mm. much has a metal influence and a prog influence and everything like that. Post metal almost incorporates sludge into their sound, but it only like doffs its hat to it. Yeah. So Souls of Zero kind of introduced what we know as to be the kind of middle era of of uh, what we get with neurosis and some of their kind of key attributes that makes up the neurosis sound that being the kind of the dual attack of scott kelly and steve on teal with these punishing rhythmic additions from david edwardson and also uh, jason roder doing these kind of fast paced tribal tom heavy drumming style going on which yeah. kind of permeates throughout their discography going forward yeah um so yeah, this also resulted in uh, the bands adding um, additional uh, additional staff, such as visuals, and yeah. that's something that's worth bringing up. I can't. I need to remember who it was that they. I think it was Adam Kendall. It's two guys, wasn't it? Yeah. So I know it was uh, Ink and Kendall, two people that they ended up getting into um, perform these visuals. And very much like a Pink Floyd yeah, setup. And it's and it's interesting for the fact that they also include them in the liner notes of the of they were the band records. members. Yeah, they're not even though you don't see the music when you play it on your on your record player, 
they are still considered very much a part of the band yeah. because they created this this aesthetic that went with the went with the the music live yeah. um and i know that at that point because obviously this was way before digital this was way before you could just slap a laptop in or a dvd um do you remember the first dvd you ever got i think it might have been the matrix really yeah i know what mine was and it's it's a bit of a meme either that or spawn i think spawn <laughs> fucking hell mine was shrek was it yeah that's quite late yeah, when did, Spawn I, come, I, when did Spawn come out? When did Shrek come out? 99, I want to say. Again, this is what people want to know. Shrek and Green Day. Okay. Please tune They're in They're both green, week. so yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so at this point they were, um, they were doing, they were preparing these live shows for people. And it's crazy to think about it because you think of how much effort that had to go into it because everything was analogue. There wasn't anything to do with like digital, digital you know, recreation, you could just stick a projector in and it goes for it. Everything was having to be, like, pulled out on film. And apparently when you used to go there to sound check, there wasn't just sound checks of amps on stage. There was rigs. This was this was a bit of a downfall for them, though, right? I can't imagine it would have been easy for them to do this. I know for, the, I know for a fact that they actually had a lot of problems with those two members because they just didn't... They weren't involved... In, or didn't feel like the culture of touring well, yeah. was a big thing for them. But it's not just that. It's also the fact that Neurosis, because of the sound that yeah. they've generated and the, the backing that they had is that they were too big to play dive shows, especially yeah. with their setup and the, the sound limitations. But they were too small to do arena shows. So they yeah. literally were stuck in the middle Mm. And that must have been quite laborious and tedious for them. Yeah. Because um, they didn't it's, really know everywhere, wherever they were supposed to be placed. And I don't, can I just, this is, I think this is a point where, because we're about to get into one of their biggest records that you're going to talk about. Yeah. Um, sludge metal as a genre, it's always really trepidatious whenever you pinpoint an, exactly when something begins, because mm. everything is a very slow, gradual evolution and it's, boiling up and then there are influences from so many places and then something comes out of it and it's never usually thanks to one specific band and would you agree that neurosis are like in general quite lazy journalism regarded as sort of like the forefathers the founders of a sludge metal sound that was then sort of uh, developed by their peers. I think that they. I think that they took it in a different direction. I don't know whether they. I don't know whether it's fair to say that they defined the entire genre, but they certainly defined a particular tone of that genre. Yeah. That being this almost like apocalyptic. And you could start hearing it. it from Souls at Zero. Yeah. Well. So this kind of almost started like a trilogy of records, and you kind of see that quite repetitively there seems to be records that complement each other sometimes you know chronologically sometimes records are literally and we'll talk about we can talk touch on this i didn't really get a chance to do much on their side projects but they also are able to complement records with records that go alongside records by other bands that they are in yeah um so 
yeah, so the, so Souls of Zero kind of marks mark their massive shift into this sludgy post metal. I do really, along with Black and Crust, I do actually really detest the term post metal. Um, so this very sludgy metal sound this then kind of permeated through uh 1993's uh enemy of the sun well, there was um, a lot of ambient as well yeah. this is far more experimental uh enemy of the sun as yeah well, isn't it? yeah and then this uh this kind of reached its peak and this is what we were saying earlier about the fact that everyone wants to hear songs off this record because it is so career-defining for a band. And that's 1996's uh, Through Silver and Blood, um, which really took on this cacophony of, like, swirling and seamlessly, like, ending, like, un- well, endless, kind of leaning on heavy repetition to kind of create these weird kind of tonal meditations. Yeah. Um, was it also uh, during this time? So it would have been ninety six, and uh, weirdly, I'm going to bring up Nirvana. Um, Nirvana <laughs> opened the floodgates uh, in terms of mainstream record labels being interested in the underground yeah. and being. Well, he tickled the roof of his mouth in 1994, <laughs> didn't he? Yes, yes, Matt. Yeah, thank okay. you. Uh, so apparently, That's from what I found out, wasn't it that? Uh, it must have been in between uh, 93 and 96 that, you know, bands like Melvin's were mm. being signed, thanks yeah. to Kirk Bain, stuff like that. And vicariously through that, people were paying a lot of attention to neurosis, probably especially during the time of Through Silver and Blood. And it, from what I found out is that there are a lot of, like, big businessmen, um, like crowding them in the room saying like, Scott, Steve, want a cigar? <laughs> that kind of thing. And yeah. apparently they made these like outrageous, lofty terms and conditions if they were going to sign to a massive label. Like it was stuff like, we want a magazine. We want like bigger visuals. Mm. We wanted to like invest a lot of money in all of these like small projects that we've got going on and all of the labels instantly were like are you fucking kidding yeah and so they were like yeah so go fuck yourself and then like continue to go off and do or do their own thing so through we, silver and blood go on sorry no i was just gonna say we actually have a mutual friend who was um who was the sound tech at one point for mastodon and apparently he was present at the time when Mastodon were being courted by these major record labels and he was actually in the room because it was like Mastodon were in this room this massive room right in the middle of it and in four corners of each room were these representatives of these four major record labels who were just coming up one by one and speaking to the band trying to like you know coax them in to come into their record label and just feeding them endless amounts of alcohol. Yeah. And they and he said it was just one of the oddest experiences ever. Surely, surely label heads and their A&R men that go to these shows know that the bands or the artists or the musicians that they're trying to like coax into their lineup or their roster, they're familiar of all the tropes yeah. from the past. So surely you just go there and be normal. Yeah. And not be like a I know you've not a got, cliche. I know you've got someone breathing down your neck saying, mm. You better fucking sign this band because yeah. we want them. If I hear they're at Universal, you're fucking out. So mm. I get it. But I've met some AR men and they don't act normal. They don't no. act like normal people. No. They 
They look I don't think business you. people There's, act like normal people. They like, see you as like figures and they see you as like an asset and stuff like that. So Yeah, so I, I work for a rather large company in, in the UK and um, I got to see, uh, maybe I shouldn't say this, I got to see what they consider like their main priorities. And the first one is obviously profit. And if you look down... Lost cu- profits. Yeah. Uh, this, and if you look down... Customers is about number seven, and you just go, Jesus Christ. After lunch. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I I don't think either of us will kind of ever understand that mentality. Like, we're, we're just not equipped. We're just artists. We're yeah. just struggling artists. We're just trying to, We're just creators, man. Yeah. We get upset. Yeah. So the band claimed that Free Silver and Blood, which was released in 1996, and that was on Relapse, Records, yeah, their first um, one. With yeah, their first one with Relapse. They kind of claim Jello Biafra's pissed. <laughs> they oh, they kind of claim it's their darkest period, and it also kind of reflected inwardly as it did outwardly on their personal lives, with members battling problems with addiction and homelessness at the time. And the and the record is undeniably bleak and oppressive, and um. Scott was on, not on heroin, but he was pretty much on everything else. Yeah, I don't, I didn't get deep into what, what was the actual issues, but I don't know whether you managed to. I don't, I did, but I don't know if there's any point just like defaming the guy that's currently in rehab, not in rehab, but it's like. He's, he's come been, out the He's other been sober end. for yeah. a very long, like over a decade now. So I can't yeah. be asked to say, by the way, can you remember when you were on fucking Crystal Beth? Sorry, that is one of them, <laughs> but just ignore that. Okay. So it was, yeah, it was around this time that they kind of hit their critical and commercial peak. Uh, And they were touring with bands such as I Hate God and Dead and Gone, and also playing festivals such as Ozfest, which, for my money, whenever someone asks me what my favourite live video ever, I always whip up YouTube and it's always this video and it's their, their, uh, their performance of Locust Star at Ozfest, and I have to say, it is probably the most, and this isn't hyperbole, this is genuine, it's probably the most intense live performance I've seen of, of a song ever. Really? Yeah, I yeah, genuinely. I've seen Jamiroquai at Ozfest <laughs> in 96 do uh, Return of the Space Cowboy, and people were going fucking... And he threw his hat people, off to do it. People were sitting down, and they stood up. Jesus you know Christ. I mean? They put their phones away. They, they stopped filming the it. They just wanted like to be 96. living in the moment. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, and this, like, it's such a strange lineup as well because that was in 1996 and that was actually, I believe it was the first Ozfest. So it was odd that they were, I mean, they even agreed that it was odd that they were on there. So I, I have the lineup here and we have, on the main stage, we have Ozzy Osbourne, Slayer, Danzig, Biohazard, Sepultura, Fear Factory, Neurosis and Narcotic Gypsy. And apart from Narcotic Gypsy, I'd probably watch all of those quite happily. Yep. Um, and on the second stage, you have Earth Crisis. Good. Which I didn't realise that was... A thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, and then Power Man 5000, Cold Chamber. Oh my fucking which, God. On our way back this from... Awesome. Um, on our way back from... Uh, was it on the way back yeah, or on the neurosis. way there? From Neurosis, we had a bit of a new metal 
festival going God, on, and why? I can't believe we didn't touch on Cold Chamber. Uh, and then you got Cellophane. I've got Pale Man Five Thousand on the go though. Yeah, and then uh, and then the, you also played the next year as well. So New Races, they got a bit of a demotion because on the ninety ninety six they're on main stage. Then they got <laughs> sounds like you're saying New stage. Racist. You, uh, well, we'll get onto those in a second. Uh, so on the second stage. On the next year, we had Cold Chamber again, but this time they're headlining. Good for them. Slow Burn, Drain, STH. We've got Downset, then Neurosis, and then Visions of Disorder. On oh, the main my, One of my favourite hardcore bands. On the main stage, we've got Black Sabbath, followed by Ozzy Osbourne, followed by Marilyn Manson, followed by <laughs> Pantera. Oh, Philly! Speaking of racists, and then we've got Typo Negative, we've got Fear Factory, Machine oh. Head... Wow. And Power this Man is, 5000. It's supposed to want to cry. So there's been a bit Power of Power Man pun. 5000 again. Yeah, so there's been Jesus a bit of a power Christ. play. So I Neurosis swear Tony Hawk's haven't down. even come out. <laughs> so they've been bumped down, they've been bumped up to a uh, main stage. Neurosis got demoted down to a uh, second stage. Fuck so what know. a slap in the face. Yeah. Uh, yeah and a shot to the dick. Pantera, Pantera and Machine Head sharing the same stage. If they knew them, if they knew them what they knew now, it would have been a fucking bloodbath. But wasn't it uh, was it this? Was this the first time that Pantera and Neurosis had met? Because thankfully, like it was almost a blessing in disguise, a racist disguise, uh, because Neurosis were then taken on tour with Pantera. Well, who's to say when they shared their first bottle of white wine? But um, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah. So one of their major tours that that neurosis and they always point towards this tour as the one thing that kind of almost skyrocketed their career beyond what they ever expected they could do as a band was i believe it was a 25 date tour with neurosis of of north america um and in my notes i have full stop you have notes yeah can you believe that i have full stop and then uh fuck phil anselmo and then i carry on and yeah, fuck Phil Anselmo. Yeah, fuck that Let's guy. just take a slight detour on this guy. Oh, God, hurry up, because I need to piss. So on our first episode, we were going to do 1989, but we... No, 1988, sorry, but we never got to do that because there was quite an important Pantera album released. Uh, Power metal. Yeah, but... Um, yeah, but fuck Phil Anselmo. And fuck anyone who tries to defend him in any respect whatsoever. Yeah. Because if we just point towards that one instant at the Dimebag Dimebag Bash, whatever it was called, in which he fucking raised his right hand in a Nazi yeah. salute and said white power and then expects you to think that it's a joke yeah. regarding... In Scott Kelly's words, he, he denounced it. Yeah, he denounced it. And that is something that was like I really appreciate because I kind of almost had to hear it from them. Yeah. Because I know that they still have a great amount of respect for Pantera for the fact that they were nice enough to take them on, on yeah. tour. Um, he's like, oh, it's really painful to see. It's yeah. such a shame. And 100%. Fuck yeah. Phil. Yeah, fuck, fuck Phil. Fuck you, Phil. Yeah. Phil. You can't be a white supremacist. Yo, Phil! <laughs> fuck you. Fuck you, Phil. You can't, be, you can't be a white supremacist then walk about on stage wearing like discharged T-shirts yeah. and bands that are quite evidently... But you can say that in the other, like, the other side of it as well. Yeah. Like, you can't be a fucking liberal and wear, walk around wearing a fucking Burzum t-shirt either. But I can try my best, though, can't I? <laughs> Take it off. So following Through Silver and Blood, 
they kind of this mark that marked the end of that kind of trilogy of records, and they almost took a slight bit of a change with their next two records as well. So even though, so the next one up, uh, I believe, was uh, Times of Grace, Grace, which was released in 1999. Um, so a three-year break between the two records, and this was actually the first time that they worked with a longtime collaborator, which was uh, Steve Albini. Uh, so the first time that they worked together. And this record and the next record that they released, which is um, Sun That Never Sets, yeah. they almost feel like two sides of one coin. Well, I think it's from Times of Grace, you could see everything that Neurosis do as mm. um, a progression. Like yeah. everything that they do is a progression. And that's one thing that they talk about a lot is that there's no real con- concept to what they do they just have to ensure that the next record ups the other record that doesn't mean it has to be louder it doesn't mean it has to be heavier it just has to be yeah they always say which is whenever they get asked which record of yours is your favorite record that you've released they always say the the most recent one yeah yeah which is absolutely what they should be doing in fact they also say that like what are some of your favorite records ever and they will like or what your what are some of the band like bands do you want to listen to and they kind of go well kind of my own band because <laughs> that's that's the music like if I wasn't it's creating fucking admirable it, yeah it's like and I completely agree with it like you should really? be do no, you like do you think your records I fucking favorite? vibe to my records all yeah, the time mate. actually I do as yeah well. yeah it's cool sick. yeah yeah, um, yeah but you sick. yeah sick but you should be writing the songs that you want to hear yeah like that is so I don't think there's any shame in being proud of something that you've accomplished and if you've and if you have accomplished it to the level that you set out to then yeah. more power to you so times of grace is just as intense but almost slightly Slightly more uplifting, slightly a warmer kind of record than um, than Through Silver and Blood. Whereas uh, Sun That Never Sets, I think that they it was around this time that they were getting slightly um, s- slightly tired of being on the road constantly. Well, it was actually touring Times of Grace. Yeah, where it was nineteen ninety nine, where they just like they had they to were stop. considering they were considering yeah. to make it full time. And they were basically touring the same venues yeah. incessantly. Yeah, and they were like, we've been here before. Yeah, and um, I think it was Steve on Till that said, like, we were playing with bands we wouldn't necessarily want to play with because you could only do a headlining tour of clubs so many times. Um, and they realised that if they were going to sort of preserve neurosis for the long haul, uh, they basically had to step away from yeah. it and honour what they were doing. Um, and that's sort of when it went in the other direction, like where they were basically like, let's try and work on our lives yeah, individually. And, and also work creatively. Like they wanted yeah. that, they wanted more emphasis on the creative part rather than what you would normally consider the majority yeah. of a band's life which is you know going out selling merchandise at the shows playing shows and yeah. whatnot and that's when they also really wanted to experiment with their sound because i know that scott kelly kind of said that 
they found out really quickly that the first thing that they could do is kick people in the face. Like, they're really good at hitting people as hard yeah. as possible. Yeah. And then he said that that's so boring. Yeah. Once you know how to do it, yeah. it's not fun anymore. Yeah. And I think the uh, antithesis of that is that they started to be regarded as this loud, quiet band. Yeah, the the soft dynamic and yeah. the loud dynamic. Which is... Which I again is lazy journalism. Yeah, especially from a consumer level. Yeah. If you start to say a band works on dynamics and it's really obvious what they're trying to do, it's because otherwise it's just going to be either outrageously belligerent to the point where it is so dull, or it's going to be metal light stuff. Like it's it's not going to be anything. It's just going to yeah. be music that is supposed to sound heavy, but has been played clean. Yeah. Like, it doesn't make any sense. So, so you need the dynamic. Yeah, so they wanted to kind of experience all those kind of textures in between all those kind of, like, psychedelic landscapes yeah. that they hadn't explored yet. And I know that they say that what they, what they mainly want to do is they want to find somewhere that they feel uncomfortable and then feel comfortable in it. Like, they kind of almost want to make that sound their own. And it is probably quite a daunting task to do, yeah. especially with a band who's taken such a shift with it's, their music. I mean, even bands like Dragged Into Sunlight or Prurient or bands like that, they're not... They're a noise bands. There are bands that are literally walls and walls and walls of sound. Mm. And you can never get through it. But even through that noise, there's a dynamic. And if Neurosis were just a metal band, you wouldn't have like half of their record collection wouldn't have existed Mm. because it's all based on the idea of dynamics, both emotional and actual sonically. So... Yeah, I mean, they they had that EP that came out in um, 2000 as well. It was uh, Sovereign. They've had a number of EPs, and it was, again, by Steve Albini, who they have worked with throughout the entirety of sort of their career since... Since um, uh, Times of Grace. Times of Grace, yeah. yeah. Um, But uh, The Sun That Never Sets was actually awarded uh, the number 18 spot on Decibel Magazine's top 100 metal albums of all time. Really? Yeah. Because I, I mean, some of the some of the reviews of that record have not been as warm or inviting as as the other. I regard so. that as their transition record. Yeah. Uh, because after that, they had sovereign. It's and then like they also had- not only that, but the fact that like everyone, like Steve and Scott, just basically exploded creatively. Yeah. Like you, you would regard neurosis. They, they they present themselves as a excessively touring band, like it's always Neurosis. And yeah, that is their backbone. But um, they took, like, they put it all on the back burner for a lot of the 21st century, despite the fact that that was their most prolific decade. Mm. Like, they had all of their side projects going on. They had Tribes of Neurot, which all came out uh, during the time of when they were setting up Neurot uh, records, but also uh, during Times of Grace, because you can pay, play both records together. And that it was the, the novelty of Times of Grace is that you had Tribes of Neurot. Uh, Not nearly as a novelty as that Flaming Lips record that oh, came yeah. out. But that's better, fucking... because the whole Tribes of Neurot 
uh, Times of Grace thing, it's a bit of a friggin' faff. And also, that would cost <laughs> a shit ton of money. What, just to get two record players together and... No, for the band. For the band? Yeah, it would have cost them so much money, they wouldn't have earned that. They wouldn't have... Sorry. Right. I don't think they would have made They're profit. They're running for the art. I don't think they would have made profit from it. <laughs> no. Um, anyway, yeah. So um, there's a lot of strong Americana uh, influence in A Sun That Never Sets. Um, it's sort of dependent on inaccuracies if you endeavour to label an artist or group. Uh, the originators, be it Sludge or what the record encompassed, which is basically like a post-metal uh, record. Uh, but Neurosis are basically alluding to their future trajectory it was the beginning record. of a lot of lyrics yeah. about there is a field yeah and a tree it's a bit more a bit more brooding yeah isn't it um they learn to sort of control or wield chaos mm. in that record um so it ventures into ambient americana folk psychedelia uh it sort of gifted the record with another dimension to their sound it isn't heavy yet it remains one of the most conceptually crushing records mm. that they've got going um and it defines their third epoch so if you look at neurosis within three epochs yeah this is the start of their third so the first one would be pain of mind yeah. uh moving, moving through to uh, uh, the word is law yeah the word is law and then by the time you get to souls at zero you're already in your second epoch yeah. And that goes through to, for me, that even includes Times of Grace. Times of Grace almost feels like a palate cleanse, almost kind of like a cleansing of all this bad juju that they got from doing Through Silver and Blood. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, as of The Suns Are Never Set, personally, I think we're still in that third epoch because yeah. everything is just an evolution out of itself. Also, uh, when we get to 2001, I believe... Now, I really can't be quoted on this because I've tried so hard to find the origin of it. Um, I believe that was the first year that they created uh, and organised their first festival, mm. which was Beyond the Pale. Uh, and the first lineup spanned over four nights in uh, the Great American Music Hall in San Francisco. Uh, it was in August, and bands like Oxbow, um, Zenijiva, uh, Neurosis, Shellac, uh, Thrones, and Isis all played uh, one of the first nights, which would have been absolutely outrageous. Yeah. Uh, as a if you were Isis, would you want to? Um, what would you play, want to play with Neurosis? Yeah. The thing is, it's the same with Eamon Ra, who were actually on Europe records yeah. later on, uh, recordings, uh, is um, if you are open and honest at the fact that you crib off of neurosis, which Eamon Ra definitely were, yeah. um, they don't mind. And no. they actually are like... They like it because they're like, well, that's, that's the music that I make and I yeah. like the music that exactly, I make, yeah. so... Uh, so the festival was famously resurrected in 2009 at Roeburn Fest and it included bands like Eamon Ra, uh, like uh, Eugene S. Robinson and uh, Zinijiva, Earth, Grails, Grey Deturus, Neurosis, Om, Six Organs of Admittance, Skullflower, uh, Tribes of Neurop, US Christmas, The Young Gods. Uh, so Scott Kelly said about Beyond the Pale is that it's our mosaic. To us, art is not supposed to be safe and prepackaged for easy consumption. If it does, 
what it's intended to do, then you won't know what hit you and you'll wake up the next morning with the taste of blood in your mouth and an old spirit will lead you to your next destination. Whatever. It's it's a good festival. (laughs) Um, So following that uh, record, you've got Eye Within the Storm in 2004, which is a progression on their experimentalism and their experimentation in general. Uh, Obviously during this period, like as we move into the modern day records, you've got Scott Kelly's solo records. You've got Steve on Till's Harvest Man. Man, You've got um, Scott Kelly basically absolutely destroy it. Like, I don't know what happened to Scott Kelly in the uh, 2000s, but he went absolutely nuts. And he was in bands like um, Shrine Builder in 2009. Yeah. Uh, he's got his solo albums, uh, Spirit Bound Flesh, The Wake, The Forgiven Ghost in Me, which came out in 2012. He's got Blood and Time uh, that came out in 2003. Uh, he's got Correct- Correction House, which was his more in- industrial efforts. And that progressed into our mirrors of... Uh, Psychic Warfare, yeah. which is a bit more, less industrial, a bit more ambient noise there. So the guys, and on top of that, friggin' Steve, Steve Von Till is a... School teacher, mm. like he he teaches. Is it nursery? Or? No, I think he's like middle school, isn't he? I think he's is for is for youngins. Is, don't say that. <laughs> well, they all they Allegedly. both wake up at like five, and they still yeah. they still have to control and manage Europe recordings yeah. as well. So and James Rhoda, the drummer, is now part of Sleep as well yeah so he's he's busy with that so they're all incredibly busy individuals on top of having to yeah i mean they even say there's not a day that goes by when they don't talk to each other so they're it's not like they take a lot of time off yeah from the idea of being in a band i mean i could talk about given to the rising i could talk about i'd probably um, say given to the rising is my favorite record by them That was beautiful. Thank you. Uh, we could talk about their relationship with Steve Albini, but I don't think it's necessary for no. like, the progression. They had their 30th anniversary. It was in 2016, I believe. Um, and I've got a flyer for that, actually. It was at the Coco, and it was with... This would have been one hell of a storm era of a show. It was with Subhumans, Discharge, Earth, and Neurosis. Wow. So I love go. Subhumans. <laughs> I love them. Um, but they, and if you look at the set list for that, all of you fucking whingy little bitches that are complaining about the fact they always play new material, they mm. actually went back to play like Pain of Mind and the, ward is, uh, the, the Word is Law stuff. So if you're at that show, props to you. Yeah. But hey, they don't I mean, need that shit anymore. Yeah, I mean, when, we, when, when I said that, you know, like it was a shame that they didn't play anything old, the, the problem is not them, the problem is me. The problem is, is that I wanted something that they weren't giving. So when you when we say that, oh yeah, it would have been nice if they played this. That's not their fault. That is yeah. our fault with to have those expectations. Yeah. Look, let's let's put this to bed. Mm. Neurosis are one without a doubt one of the most forward thinking, most sincere bands, outfits, musicians that has ever existed. Yeah. Not only are they artists, but they understand themselves as artists. They represent everything that is good. Yeah. 
not just about metal, but just making music and art and doing it for yourself, uh, working with the right people, um, being aware of being human and having sort of downfalls. And there's a lot of stuff like personal inner stuff that is hard to convey. However, they seem to have this like unending ability to be open with their music and Mm. in which case we sort of experience what they experience as well vicariously through their music and through their interviews which in my opinion they're very open and honest in their interviews as well um they they represent everything that's good about writing music yeah yeah so bloody good luck to them yeah bloody good Um, luck to them in the future yeah, and they're still going. Like that's that's the main thing to point out is that they're not just going back and playing old songs. They are creating new albums with new sounds that they haven't experimented with. Yeah. So yeah. So in total, I mean, just is there a record that you would point to that you would tell people to check out if they so, had? A, if you could give someone three records of their discography to check out what would you do it's quite difficult but what i would probably say is souls at zero is potentially the most fun record that they've done and Mm. i i would recommend that just to get an idea of the inception of their future sound yeah um i am gonna have to say through silver and blood okay um because and I know these are fan favorite fan favorites, but like I just I, I can't not mention through Silver and Blood, mm. um, and I would actually recommend Fires Within Fires. Yeah, yeah. There, there are my own. These aren't my personal favorites. These are my recommendations for someone if they're trying to get into neurosis. Mm. Uh, those records give you a general roundabout of what's going on. Um, they're not specifically my favorites, though. Yeah. I probably have to say for me, I don't know. It's a toss up between for for one position being an inclusion. It's a toss up between through silver and blood, and the eye of every storm. So one of those two could be swapped out on any given day, given how I'm feeling at that time. Yeah. Um, the second one would probably be times of grace, and the last one would probably be given to the rising. I reckon. Yeah. Uh, just before we sign off, there's there's one more thing that we should probably announce, and it it, it is common knowledge now, but like in the music press, but um, they have just re-released um, the Neurosis and Jarbo uh, collaborative record, mm. um, and it's been reproduced. Uh, Noah, uh, who in, who's in the band, the keyboardist. Uh, in the band he's been involved with the production and i believe steve albini's had his hands on it as well um jarbo being uh the previous uh f- frontman almost like lead singer for um swans Front person for swans for michael shira um so yeah if if you want to listen to some of them more experimental side projects without uh scott or steve's guttural vocals then i would recommend listening to that uh record as well they yeah it kind of feels almost like without 
discrediting their input on the record, they almost take a back seat and allow it to become almost like the stage in which Jarbo kind of performs on. Like yeah. that's what the music feels like for that yeah. record without saying that it, it's, you know, throwaway. For sure. But it's, yeah, it's a, it's a really great record. So that is, that is Neurosis. That's Neurosis. That is an episode. That as, is Neurosis. That is an episode as long as a Neurosis song. Yeah. So, uh, it was quite difficult. I quite enjoyed there's so that. Much, I know it was, yeah. it was fun, but like, uh, it's, there's so much to, it's talk about difficult to summarize. Yeah. Yeah. In summary, listen to two hours worth of people talking. <laughs> um, so I'm going to ask you this time, Matt, where can people find us? Uh, so you can find us on the, I, I don't know what we tell them to look for us on um, iTunes because ch- ch- chances are they're probably already on iTunes anyway. Never know, yeah. yeah. So we're on iTunes, X in Ferris, a heavy metal podcast. We're on SoundCloud at X in Ferris a heavy metal podcast. Uh, we're on Instagram at X and Ferris podcast. We're, at, we're now on Twitter at X and Ferris pod because yep. we couldn't get the cast on there. Yep. Uh, we are on, where else are we? Uh, on Facebook, Facebook uh, X and Ferris podcast. There's no point going there. No, there. It's, a, it's a ghost town. Um, we also have a email address, which is uh, podcast at gmail.com if you want to send us abuse. We really, your, really would like to hear from you. Yeah, or your demos, which yeah. can sometimes be considered abuse. You can send that in there. Uh, yeah, is there anything else at all? Um, no, I'm just going to go for a piss. Yeah. 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 Two.